So have you ever looked out over your life or over what's going on in the world and seen what's going wrong and ask, why doesn't God do something? Many times when people reject faith, it's because they look out over the world and they see the things that are wrong and say, if there was a good God, then these things wouldn't be happening. He wouldn't sit back and just allow these things to happen. And we look out over the world and we see all the things that are broken. And then it's hard sometimes to reconcile that with what we're told about God, that he's a good God and a loving God and an all-powerful God. If all of that were true, then how can those things happen? And then sometimes it becomes a little bit more personal than that, doesn't it? Because it's not just the things out in the world. It's something that happens to us, some experience that we have, some wrong or injury that is done to us, some sin that we don't seem to be able to overcome, some circumstance that we never would have chosen, and yet God allows into our lives. And it becomes very personal, and we ask, why doesn't God do something. So, how do we deal with that? What is God's plan for dealing with all that is wrong in the world? Because what we've said is that here's what it looks like. It looks like that Jesus came and he said, whatever, you might, whatever a person might believe about Jesus, it's pretty clear that he came into the world and said, I've come to set things right. And if that's the case, then how does that happen? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're in a series called How to Church. Uh, we are going to, we're, we're, we're talking about how to church, and part of church is God including us into his setting things right. So how does that work? Is he setting things right? Why is it that we don't see things set right entirely? What is his plan for doing that. And while that is a big topic, we're going to focus in on a particular aspect of how we do church that touches on this issue. Why doesn't God do something? Well, he has, and part of his plan is to use you. I said last week that we are in a section of this series where we're talking about our core values. And I told you the story of how our leadership team was reading a book called The Advantage. And it said, if you wanna figure out what your core values is, you look around and you see the people that are doing what you would like them to be doing, that are contributing in such a way. And then you try to find out what are those characteristics that you see, that you want to see, and that you would like to see duplicated in other people. And last week we talked about excellence, that God is, that Jesus followers do their best and allow God to fill in the rest. Well, today we're talking about another characteristic that as we looked over the church and said, if everybody did this, we would be in good stead. And everybody that we see doing this, we really appreciate. And that's the kind of person that we want to develop as they become followers of Jesus. And today, what we're talking about is initiative. We're talking about initiative. Because what we see in the scriptures is that Jesus' followers see a need and do something about it. That's our bottom line for today. Jesus' followers, if you're following Jesus, then part of that is that you're going to be have eyes wide open to the needs that are around you, but you just won't see them. You just won't notice them. You actually do something about it. 
So the practical step that we will take, the way that we will apply this is observe, we're going to see, we're going to look, and then to act as well, to observe and to act. So I'm going to look at two passages of scripture today, and I've asked Laura to help me. So Laura, you can come on up, and Laura's going to read James chapter 2, verses 14 to 17. Good morning, everyone. So faith without good deeds is dead. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough, unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Very good. Now stay up here for just a second, because I just want to tell everybody what's going on with you. Oh. With Ann Lindsay's group. Okay. Okay. You okay with that? I'm okay. Okay. <laughs> Not that you have a choice at this point. <laughs> but um, many of you will know Ann Lindsay, who has been leading a women's Bible study for years now oh, yeah. at Cornerstone. And she is handing off the baton to Laura beginning when? April. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. she has been, Laura has been being apprenticed by Ann Lindsay and been a part of that group. You're finishing up the book of Acts, Acts yep. and you're going to take over as you begin the book, the book of Daniel, the book of Daniel. So congratulate her and celebrate what's happening there in that group and pray for her. So give her a round of applause. She deserves it. Thank you, Laura. The second parallel passage, oops, I didn't bring that up. Uh, the second parallel passage is from Luke chapter 10. This is a familiar story. Listen to it with fresh ears. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? One thing about inherit, when you see that in the scriptures, we think of it as something that happens when you die, but it's often used as to come into possession. What he's asking is, how do I, how do I earn, how do I get a possession of eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you, love the Lord, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this, and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. When he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. 
if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we look at your word today, I pray that you would give us insight, that you would show us how it applies to our lives and how you want to use it to transform us, give us a new perspective, make us into the new people that you want us to be. I thank you, Lord, that you are here and that you are present and that you have inspired your word, that your Holy Spirit is alive and active, that you speak to every heart. And that is my prayer, that each person will hear directly from you today through what we are doing and know exactly what to do with what they have heard and that you would bless them as a result in the doing. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So just a reminder that, of course, we are meeting on site and we expect to be able to continue to do that, but also remember to check the calendar if you want to be sure. All of our experiences, we inspire and equip people to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, knowing that following Jesus makes life better and makes you better at life. And we don't always put this up there, but it also brings glory to God in the process. We also have our online experience and our on-demand. So messages, services, all of that are available on our website so you can catch up and so you can see what's going on and make sure that you don't miss anything there. And speaking of not missing anything, let us know who you are and we'll be able to stay in touch with you. Today we're talking about initiative, as I said, and what we see in these scriptures is that Jesus' followers, the people that are following Jesus, see a need, they're open to it, and they do something about it. They take action. So if the question is, why doesn't God do something about it? He does do something about it, and God's plan includes us. So let's just lay the foundation with some things that we've talked about before. God's plan for doing something to set the world right includes us. When Jesus came on the scene and announced his ministry and started it, this is the way he described it. In Mark 1.15, it says, the time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. God's rule and reign is breaking out Jesus says in his ministry. That is why I can say it's very clear that Jesus saw his ministry as the beginning of setting things right. And he did that through his ministry, but also primarily through the cross and resurrection, and then inviting us as a result, making a way for us to be included in his family. And so he says to go and make disciples of all nations. And remember, the idea there is that we are apprenticing in the ways of Jesus. We're going to think the way Jesus thought. We're going to act the way Jesus acted. We become his representatives and we are transformed in the process. So we become his disciples, his followers. And so he would send us out to do the same kinds of things that he himself did. We see an example of this in the original 12 disciples in Mark chapter three. It says he appointed the 12 and then what did he appoint them to do? It says, so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. 
Remember, we have looked at Jesus' ministry as a model. And what did he do? He would pray, he would heal, he would teach. And we see that pattern here in the commission and in the marching orders that he gave to his disciples. And it's the same for us as well. If we are Jesus' followers, we're going to walk in the same steps, do the same kinds of things that he did. And so we've talked about how that means uh, it's relational, that we pray. We're going to lean into our relationship with our Heavenly Father, that we are healing. And that doesn't mean necessarily that everyone's going to have the miraculous gift of healing, but it means that each of us is going to be active in helping to set things right. And that's the emphasis of what we're talking about today. And also to preach. And that's what we talked about most recently, the idea that it is the truths of the scripture that transform us. So all of that to say that, yes, Jesus' followers see a need and do something about it. That is God's plan for setting things right. Is It includes us. And so if there are certain things that aren't set right, if we notice things that need to be done, if we notice places where there is brokenness that needs to be healed, where there is a need that needs to be met, then the question is not, well, when is God going to do something about that? It's an invitation for us to take action and do something about it because that's what it's like to be a follower of Jesus. We see needs, we notice them, and we do something about it. And that emphasizes the fact of the first, that is emphasized by that first passage that Laura read, which is that our faith is active. Let's look at it in a little bit of detail. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? What the Apostle James is saying is that there's a connection between our faith, what we say we believe, and our actions. There is a connection between them. And it's a necessary, it's an indispensable connection. The way the message translation puts the second half of that verse is, does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? Now, I think that some way that people can be tripped up by that is saying, okay, well, I I thought salvation was by grace through faith, and it absolutely is. But what he's saying there is that you can't have real faith that doesn't work itself out, make itself manifest, show itself through its actions. It's not just an intellectual assent to certain facts. It is a transformation where you become a new creation. You think differently, you act differently. It's holistic. It's not just, oh, I believe these things and then I go off and live my life the way I want to. And that's the point that James makes. It's not just merely talking about it, it is reflected in what you do. And so he gives an example of the kind of thing he's talking about. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing. You see a need. This person has a need. And so what do you do? And you say, goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. Be warm, be filled, be gone. Okay, is that, that's the approach that he's describing there. I see a need and I wish them well. I really hope that things get better for them, but I don't do anything about it. And that's what he describes secondly. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? No good, right? 
it doesn't do anything. It doesn't change. And so he's saying, if faith is real, it's going to impact the way that you interact with the world. And he sums it up this way in verse 17. So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It's dead and useless. In other words, if faith is real, it's going to be active. It's going to do something. So part of God's plan for making things right includes us. And if we have real faith, then we are going to be active. We are going to be actively participating in God's setting things right because Jesus' followers see a need and do something about it. And then in the parable of the Good Samaritan, I want to focus in on this aspect, that we as followers of Jesus Christ act without being asked. We act without being asked. A couple of weeks ago, I encouraged you to go into every situation and ask the question, how can I help? What can I do to help? How can I be of help in this situation? That's keeping your eyes open to the needs around you and then doing something about it. And we ask that question, but we don't just ask it of others. We ask it of ourselves. How can I be of help? We don't wait to be asked. We take the initiative. We act without being asked. That's what we see in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Here's how it's described. A despised Samaritan. Now that is added by the New Living Translation to help us understand that there was extreme prejudice by Jesus' listeners to people who were Samaritans. He's high, the translation is highlighting that, that these were enemies as far as they, came, as they were concerned. And so this is person, a person who is considered an enemy who comes along and he sees the man who has been robbed and beaten and left for dead, and he felt compassion for him. You'll notice if you read carefully that, the, that his brothers, the priest, the temple assistant that came by, they see what's going on. And the second one even comes over and takes a closer look, but then they cross over to the other side and keep on going. The difference here is that he truly sees, he saw the man and he felt compassion for him. One of the things that I notice in Jesus is that very often when he encounters people who are broken and in need and enslaved by sin or whatever the case may be, enslaved by sickness, he, his first response is compassion. And many of the people around him, their first default knee-jerk reaction is condemnation. And so that's one of my prayers is that my, my first, my kind of automatic default re- reaction will be compassion and not condemnation. There might be good reasons. You know, a person could come along and say, yep, well, that's what you get traveling on this known dangerous road by yourself. It's everybody knows that you're going to get robbed if you go on this road. You got exactly what you deserved, and I'm not going to stick around and put myself at risk. Goodbye. It would have been justifiable. But his first response was to truly see him and to act, to allow compassion to arise in him. So when we say that you see a need, that's the kind of thing that we're talking about. And in fact, in the Bible, the idea of seeing clearly 
is connected with compassion. Let me explain this passage from Matthew chapter six. It's right in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And, and it doesn't, it's very hard to understand without the proper context. Uh, here's what it says. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. Now, people that didn't know what was going on with that, they're like, I have no idea. Uh, in fact, there are, once, the, once Christianity became the default religion, the official religion of the Roman Empire, sometimes the, the emperors, when they would have their, their bust made and a statue made, they would make sure that the eyes were really big because they wanted to say, hey, this person has big clear eyes. They're a good person. That's not what it's talking about. This is an idiom for generosity. If you look at this verse, what it talks about right before that is where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And what it talks about right after that is you can't serve both God and money. This is in the context of talking about generosity. So what does it mean to be clear-eyed in this context? Well, let's look back at Proverbs 28, verse 27. Be generous to the poor, you'll never go hungry. Shut your eyes to their needs and run a gauntlet of curses. In Hebrew poetry, it uses a lot of parallelism and contrast. So here in the first half, it's talking about generosity. And in the second half, it's making a contrast to being stingy. And how does it describe being stingy? Shutting your eyes to the needs around you. You're blind to the needs around you. So when Jesus says that you're clear-eyed, that means that your eyes are open, the blinders are off, you're aware and you see the needs around you, and you're going to do something about it. If you, we use the idea of your hands, not our eyes. We say a person is tight-fisted if they are stingy and open-handed if they're generous. So he's saying there, if you want a, a good sense, this is, and this is the, the, the theme of that whole passage in Matthew, you want a good sense of where your heart is, look at the way that you handle money, look at the way that you deal with the needs around you, look at the way you are generous or stingy, and that will give you insight into what's going on in your heart. So when he says, if your eyes are clear, your whole body is full of light, he's saying, if you get this part right, if you're, if you're generous, then that's an indication that your heart is right. It shows what's going on. So that's the idea. So when we say see a need, we're not just talking about light entering your eyes and you observing, because all of the people, all of the characters in the parable of the Good Samaritan saw, but only one allowed what they saw to turn into compassion and that compassion to turn into action. So what did he do? Going over to him, the man who was beaten and left for dead, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. What did he do? He moved towards him. He saw the need, he had compassion, and then he began to act to meet those immediate needs. So that's the first thing that I want you to notice here is there, there are some times where you're going to see an immediate need that can be met. So you go ahead and do that. You act. You know, he couldn't do everything in that moment, but he did something in that moment. He acted. He went over to him. He more, moved towards him. There are people in our lives that we 
that we're tempted to move away from because of the situation that they're in, because they probably might have got it in, in that situation of their own fault. But what we see here is the person moving toward them and doing something about to meet the immediate need. Sometimes you can't solve the whole problem, but you can meet an immediate need. And so that's what we see him doing. But it didn't stop there. He moves towards him. He meets the need. He has compassion that turns into action. And then he goes beyond that. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. So here we see um, uh, taking care of ongoing needs. Sometimes we meet an immediate need and just do what needs to be done in the moment, but that doesn't preclude us from having ongoing long-term interaction with someone. He takes him to a place where he could be taken care of. He makes an investment, a relational investment over the long haul. And then it says, the next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. So a couple of aspects that you see here. Number one is he was unable to provide the full measure of care, but he cooperates with, he, he, he partners with somebody else who can do that. One of the things that I like about what we do around, around the holidays is very often when we take up an offering, we give it away to other organizations that are doing good. And we participated in that this past Christmas. What we're doing is saying, you know, it's not up to us to reinvent the wheel. I don't ever expect us, honestly, to have a food pantry at Cornerstone. Why? Because there are a half a dozen food pantries pantries in our, in our neighborhood, in our community, why wouldn't we just partner with people who are already doing it well and resource them and help them? And that's the kind of thing that he's talking about here. He's saying, I see a partnership there. It's like, I can't do this, but I can partner with somebody else who can. And notice that there's both the personal impact, there's personal service and there's also financial resourcing as well. The, the, the Samaritan gets involved personally and serves, but he also resources, he funds the continuing need. And that's an important thing for us to remember as well. Sometimes our service is personal and hands-on, and sometimes it's resourcing. And it's not an either-or, it's a both-and. And then he goes on and says, if the bill, he pays, and he says, if his bill runs higher than that, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. He's open-handed. His eyes are open. He's willing to do something about it. And I love this because it reminds me of the essence of the gospel. We're saying that what it means to be a Jesus follower is that we see needs and then we do something about it. And that's exactly what Jesus did in the gospel, is it not? We were in rebellion. We were running away from God. We were his lost sheep. And he didn't wait for us to say, hey, rescue me. Please help do something about it. He sent his son of his own initiative who went to the cross and said, I'll pay I'll, t I'll pay the debt of your sin. 
I, I, I'm not gonna wait for you to ask me to do it. I'm gonna take the initiative to do it. I'm going to personally be involved. I'm going to send my son. Jesus goes to the cross personally, experiences the injustice and uh, humiliation of that. And he says, I'll pay. I'll take the punishment that you earned and I'll put it on myself. I'll pay the debt. I'll meet the need. And then I'll offer to you salvation, forgiveness, and a new life. He doesn't wait for us. He takes the initiative and says, I'll pay. So that's why the first step is not to go out and do something. It's to say yes to what Jesus has already done for us in committing your life to Jesus. What are you doing? You're saying yes to his forgiveness, what he did on the cross for us, and also to his leadership, that you're going to walk in his ways, that you're going to apprentice in the ways of Jesus. It's not an optional thing. It is part and parcel of what we are as followers of Jesus. We're gonna follow his lead. So, Today, we've talked about initiative. We've seen how Jesus took the initiative and how he taught his followers to take the initiative to see a need and do something about it. And that's the kind of initiative that we hope to develop if you're a part of our church family. On the reverse, the back page of your growth guide, you'll see what we're talking about for three weeks is the people we're becoming. And we're doing a countdown. I'm starting at the bottom and moving up. We're at number two. So how have we described it for us? We take the initiative. That means we are proactive. In the scriptures, we see repeatedly that those described as good and wise are the ones who see a need and then do what it takes to meet it. When we see a need, we don't make excuses or wait for an invitation. We leverage our resources for the benefit of others. We have a can-do, whatever-it-takes mentality. We take the initiative. And as a follower of Jesus, that's what we do. We see a need and do something about it. So I want to give you a very practical way to apply what we've talked about today. We've said that when you're following Jesus, it makes life better and makes you better at life. Well, here's something that you can do this week that will move you in the steps of Jesus and that will improve your life. Jesus taught that it's better to give than to receive. And so this is, this is a good example of that. When we serve others, it does something for us. It fills us up. So what is it? To observe and then act. Most likely this week, you're going to encounter a need, someone or something. And when you do that, rather than saying, well, I wish somebody would do something about that. That shouldn't be. Why doesn't God do something about that? Instead, look at yourself and your resources and say, what can I do about that? Jesus followers are always asking, how can I help? Jesus followers see a need and then do something about it. So I just want to challenge you to be on the lookout. And then when you see that need, say, oh, that's what Brian was talking about. That, that's, that's my invitation from God to do something about it this week. And that might mean you getting personally involved. It might make, bring, make, mean you bring someone to make a connection with somebody who can help. 
It might be a variety of different things. It might be personally serving. It might be resourcing. But Jesus' followers see needs and then do something about it. That's what he did. And if we say we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to do the same thing. Observe and act. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for what you did for us in rescuing us. That you didn't leave us broken on the side of the road. That you reached out of heaven. That you reached into the miry pit and you lifted us up and placed us on a rock. Lord, I pray because I know that there are probably people that are right here that feel in need. There's, there's a lack, there's an emptiness, there is an unmet need in their lives. It might be very tangible, it might be emotional, it might be spiritual. Lord, I pray that even in this moment that you will do what only you can do in meeting that need and rescuing and redeeming and convincing that you are there for them. And Lord, I pray that we who claim the name of Jesus, who say that we are your followers, will have the perspective of Jesus, that you would open our eyes to the needs around us and that we won't wait for an invitation, but we will take the initiative. And that as a result, we will get the joy of being used by you. We will get the uh, pleasure of the experience of seeing how what we do can make an impact on others and to be able to see that God can use us, that you can use us to bring glory to yourself. We pray that that will be our experience and that as a result of what you've done here today, we'll have many stories to tell. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.